Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Kwonga, welcoming back Ryan Hun. Hello, Ryan. Hello. And Michael De Silva from his various travels. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, homecoming. <laughs> A homecoming podcast, the homecast. <laughs> the return. We'll be discussing bonanza of UEFA Nations League action. So much great stuff going on last week. Let's get into it. Michael, where should we start? We should probably start with the Nations League as a format. It's surprisingly good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's added some intensity to what would be um, kind of pedestrian friendlies. And yeah, I mean, we've seen England versus Croatia, great game. Germany versus Netherlands, great game. There's many other examples. So I'm all for it. I think what's been fun about the Nations League, and I, I share a lot of those thoughts, What's funny, I was talking to a friend, it's a bit like um, the schoolyard kickabouts you had where you kept score and you played for like two hours. And instead of just like, you know, playing end to end, you were like, I oh, know it's seven, six. And it mattered, even though there was <laughs> yeah. almost, no, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, now like, it matters. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. it matters. And you can see the intensity because, you know, Dejan Lovren's on Instagram, social media, talking trash. Uh, wow. is talking Some back. things never change. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it matters and yeah. you can, and the players are responding in, in kind. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. Um, and also, you don't have like seven substitutions at half time and killing the flow of a game. So it feels like a, you know, like league games that we're used to seeing, domestic games, but on international scale. It's great. Um, it's a rare case of UEFA getting it right. Ooh. Aren't there implications, though, maybe? And, and we love the format. I, I certainly love the format. Are there not implications long-term for the intensity of games played over the course of a season? Because if we've now added the Nations League, you had friendlies before and there was a sense of taking your foot off the pedal a bit, the international break. But now these games are keenly contested. Is there not a bit of a danger of, a greater danger of burnout for players? That's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it, if I'm being honest. But I 
don't see it as being a major issue because the Nations League is such a small amount of games and there are still friendlies in between that. Mm-hmm. So it's not completely replaced friendlies. I mean, the top groups, if you're in them, was it group A or mm-hmm. tier A, mm-hmm. you play, what, six games? And usually, I think England have pretty much every time had one friendly and one qualifier or something, right? Don't or you play four fun- games? Uh, sorry, four, yes, yeah. four in the top. Can't do maths. But still, <laughs> so four games of higher intensity than, you know, than a friendly, I don't mm. think is really going to gonna affect it too much. And also, even though they have been competitive, you have still seen quite a lot of um, squad rotation from most of the top teams, actually. I think this is what players want anyway. Like, I think players yeah. want, they, they don't want to just kind of go through the paces of a, of a uh, you know, a walking pace uh, friendly they want to they want something to play for and you know these guys are competitive even when they're training you know yeah so I mean I we've think... seen so many times how um, you know a lot of young players when they're coming through get their chance in meaningless friendlies but mm-hmm. then when it comes to competitive games at international level they maybe just get replaced for the same old same old and this time you've been able to kind of bed them in a little bit more gradually like you know Jaden Sancho's played competitive games for England already which yeah. is amazing and, and we've seen like just clearly the result of not, you know, if you don't play well, if you don't perform in these four games, then it can, it can impact you. And we've seen it with Germany. Yeah. You know, they're now in pot two for European Championship qualifying. That means that they're going to face one of the, the, the big teams. Could be England, mm-hmm. Spain, Portugal, France. So, you know, they've paid the price. And I think it's, it's also like a... It's almost like a, an ongoing form table, you know, like if you, you want to know who the form teams are in Europe right now, well, you check out the, the Nations League, yeah. Switzerland, Netherlands, they're right up there. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually one of my favourite things about the Nations League is that, you know, there are very real consequences mm. to not doing well. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've seen that with Germany and um, yeah, I think that's, that's been really good. I mean, one of the things as well, I, I kind of, th- I think we mentioned it really early on. Like one, I think the first round of UEFA Nations League games, I watched like the Georgia game. I think it was like Georgia Latvia or something like that, mm. and the atmosphere was absolutely yeah. unbelievable. And for those um, kinds of nations as well, you know, like you've seen like Gibraltar and mm. teams like and countries like that, it's been amazing because yeah. they've it's brought them on a bit more of a level playing field with their opposition mm. and it's given them competitive wins well, which a, is a lot more you know, of a level playing field they you know there's no fun in Gibraltar going to Italy and getting getting hammered 7-0 what's the point yeah. it doesn't it doesn't help them it doesn't help them develop as a nation so yeah. um and i yeah. don't know the science behind it but i can imagine that that's only a good thing for 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 further development in those in those nations in terms of if they can actually then progress up to a higher tier play better teams and then but then you know it's a lot more relative as opposed to them being in a group with like germany or, or well maybe not germany anymore but uh, portugal you know it is relative though yeah and you know whatever level you're you're at um if you're playing competitively competitive games it's gonna it's gonna help your growth yeah it's gonna improve competition and i think for too long um there were there were too many mismatches especially in european um european championship qualifying world cup it was always a bit more intense but yeah it was always just a walkover for those teams it was pointless really mm-hmm. so yeah this is cool and i'm looking forward to the finals even next summer i mean it's not not really uh not a classic tournament or anything but it's gonna be fun hey it's a trophy 
Is it a trophy? Probably. And you be. say it's not a classic tournament, but what I love about the four teams that have gone through, they've all been rewarded for collective. Like there's no, you look at those teams, England, Switzerland, Portugal, and Netherlands, and they're all teams which put the collective above the individual. Mm. They're not serving one ego. They're not led by, you know, one or two superstars. Mm. It really is, you know, these are teams that play good football the way that Switzerland dismantled yeah. Belgium. I mean, they dissected them. And Shakiri, you know, there's a player that's bided his time, almost like, you know, his his uh, his season is almost a metaphor for Switzerland's evolution through this Nations League. They've really bided their time and he's mm. bided his time. He's waited on the bench mm. a few games at Liverpool and he's just exploded into life. And, and Switzerland have too. And they caught Belgium cold. And what I love about this tournament, like you say, it is a realistic form guide and I also love the fact it's so precarious. Yeah. Like yeah. going into the last 10 minutes, yeah, of some of these games, like teams were staying up or going down. Yeah, exactly. Whether, yeah, whether Five minutes from the yeah. end of Germany's yeah. game against Netherlands, they were surviving. They were going through um, into, well, they were avoiding going into pot two, at least in European Championship. And, Real ne- and Netherlands weren't, it was going to be France that would be in the finals. Yeah. And it Wild. just all flipped in five minutes. It was and you really can tell cool. these games matter because look how they're ending. Yeah. yeah. Look how they're ending. You know, late goal, um, Depay gets a Penenka against France. A Penenka, my goodness. <laughs> Hold me. Um, late goals um, for Holland, late goals for England. Like, yeah. it's just... Yeah, that's cool. Because so many so in. many international games, especially qualifiers, are just they're done at halftime. Yeah. Or they have been in the past. And, yeah. and I think that's a good thing. And yeah, it's not a classic tournament yet, but because it's the first round, the first edition yeah, of it. Yeah, you it know, could be, yeah. Um, you know, classic albums aren't classic when they drop. You know what I mean? <laughs> Having said that, in defence... Of classic albums, Outcast of Cromenai. <laughs> Some of us knew it was a stone cold killer. Some of us knew 1998, moment of truth. Sorry, listen. Will it back? Will it back? Gangster, moment of truth. Listen, listen. I'm sorry, sorry to put the grit in the oyster. Hey, someone's got to do it. But segue, segue, because we discussed the Nations League as a format, which we seem to think is great. Um, but the Netherlands, actually, they're interesting too, because they and their coach, Ronald Koeman, have had a renaissance really haven't they in recent mm. recent months well it's easy to forget that they didn't qualify for the last two major tournaments um they haven't been at the races since 2014 and ronald Koeman comes in he's obviously an elite coach who i think uh, didn't really get the rub of the green at everton he deserved he deserved he deserves better um but, you know, the Netherlands is, is a great job to, to walk into. And he, uh, he's worked wonders with that team. And, you know, four games, four games ago, you would have said, well, yeah, they're still in transition, this team. But here we go. They're in, <laughs> suddenly in the Nations League finals. They're in pot one for European Championship qualifying. They're reborn. That's the, I think that's the big thing for them being in pot one for the qualifying because they missed out quite narrowly on a on the world cup right they were they weren't miles away mm. and i think that escaping a bigger team in a group is going to be really really big for them and and to be fair like when you saw those groups drawn originally if you'd said right the netherlands are going to top the group from the last two world champions <laughs> yeah yeah that's containing it. the last two world champions that's true. having not qualified for the last two major tournaments you'd be like yeah right yeah, I bet they draw Germany in the European Championship. I know. Qualifying. Wow. <laughs> I know. And they'll beat them all over again. Can yeah. I say this as well? This is huge what the Netherlands did. Because yeah. the Germany thing, the Germany thing, that is the needle match. Like Netherlands-Germany is what 
England, Germany used to be to us before we got absolutely cleansed in the uh, in the World Cup. No, but this is the same thing. Like yeah. the Netherlands haven't been a, a genuine rival to Germany for right. a long time. So yeah, it's almost like a joke to Germans that the Netherlands are their rivals. But And so for that to happen, for the two-all draw to happen psychologically, that is absolutely huge for this next new generation, this young generation of of Dutch players. And you can draw a parallel with the victory over them, uh, over what was then West Germany in the yeah. Euros way back, um, was it 88 or 92, the semi-final? Right. Mm. Was it uh, 88? I think it was the semi-final. And a parallel with that, like the kind of shedding of a historical burden for mm. a generation, that's happened again now, and it's so exciting for Holland. I think the bedrock for their um, success has been their defence. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I know Germany scored a couple of goals against them, but they are, they are tough to, to, to get through. I mean, you've got Sillison um, in goal, Van Dijk, of course. Um, De Litt, who you know is going to be one of the best centre backs in the world in the next few years, um, and they've got some 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 good exciting fullbacks as well. And I think that's it's it's really cool that they've got that that foundation in place. This team actually reminds me of Southampton under Pochettino, when they had all these brilliant players we didn't know about yet. We knew about them, we didn't mm. know about them, mm. and we're going to see in the next two three years players mm. from this Holland team emerge mm. into the international spotlight and we're going to be like of course it was there all along yeah. Do you know it's like almost this this is almost like foreshadowing for the next three four years yeah quite possibly like de Jong as well frankie de Jong. yeah well this is the thing i was going to say is that now you've started seeing the rumors for delict and de Jong going to big clubs yeah you know they're both only 21 and the, the delict rumors have been around for a little while yeah but they seem to be more it usually you kind of see them pop up on you know kind of like niche people yeah. in the people who really know and now they're kind of they, they right. seem to be everywhere for like the past week actually I've seen so much stuff written about those two yeah um, I think yeah no, I you think... said the def defence is really good and I think also their midfield like Wijnaldum and De Jong together I think mm. it's just a really nice midfield yeah and again like under the radar and, and I think the <clears> thing <throat> as well with the Holland is that or the Netherlands which for so long they've been hanging on to that old guard you know and looking mm. to those guys to get them out of trouble mm. And as you maybe kind of see with Portugal, actually, if you remove the kind of the big dogs, if right. you like, sometimes it frees up this next generation to really kind of be, you know. Well, um, we saw even that with England. Yeah, so, or, or like Sweden, yeah. for example, when with, you know, they had their most successful World Cup for ages. Mm. The first time Zlatan wasn't there. And yeah. I think that's not saying that these guys are terrible, obviously, because they're not. But mm. I think when you've got a personality that huge who can dominate a dressing room, sometimes removing them and letting the, the younger guys come through is pretty good. That's an excellent point. I think what also happens though with um, Zlatan and, and Cristiano Ronaldo is they make the attack predictable because things go through them. Yeah. And you know then who's coming to get you, basically. You yeah. look at Portugal now, much harder to pick up. That yeah. front line is basically amorphous. Well, I think this became the problem with England as well, with Rooney. Everything was going through Rooney and England became so predictable, so pedestrian. Um, and then when they stripped him out of the team, you now don't know where the attack's coming from. Mm. It can be from any side of the pitch. There's a parallel with Raul Gonzalez um, being left out of the Spain team and then winning. Yeah, definitely. And then also Balak being left out yeah. before 06. And I think the problem is, it's that teams, because the team has so long been built around that player, the opposition has worked out to beat you with that player mm. configured like that. So it was when, you remember like the, um, the Euros final 2012, Mm. when basically Spain hunted pillow in packs. Mm -hmm. They basically filled the midfield with effectively six players at one point. Mm -hmm. You know how Spain just cluster. Mm -hmm. And they just hunted pillow down. Mm -hmm. 
And if you take Pillar out, not that he's not incredible, he's incredible, but that's the point. He's almost too good. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it gives the the opposition more more to cover because there is no, um, you know, absolute target point. And that's the thing with back then, even though there were probably more dangerous players in the Italy squad from an attacking point of view, mm. it was all about kind of shutting Pirlo down. And I think in international football, this is even more important. Like at club level, like we see teams try and fend off uh, Messi, you know, but but they're too good, you know, like they have options all over the pitch. At international mm-hmm. football, you can't sign a player. Yeah. Um, I kind of like an international football a little bit too, like um, when the NBA gets to the playoffs, right, for example, and sometimes teams who would have had like the third best record in their conference get wiped out by the team who had the eighth best record because it's just a matchup problem. Do you know what I mean? So it doesn't mean they're not as good a side, but they just, the way they match up, you know what I mean? Specifically, is a lot more, it's a lot um, more specific for that kind of, those two teams, do you know what I mean? As opposed to, and that doesn't necessarily mean that over the course of a season, that's why you don't see it in domestic leagues so much. But in those, in when you've only got four games to play, it kind of becomes I love that important. analogy. I love that analogy you've drawn. I think if you look at even some of the games we've seen, we see Switzerland and Belgium. Yeah. Switzerland match up very well. This is the thing. Switzerland have been matching up very well with teams for years in these big tournaments. Look how hard they were to beat the last couple of World Cups. Argentina, you know, with Messi peaking 2014, very difficult to to break them down. It always takes till sort of injury time or extra time to beat them in big tournaments. So no one likes playing them. They're like a kind of, um, they're like a diet Uruguay. Do you know what I mean? They're not as dangerous as Uruguay. They're not as defensively good, but they're brutal. I mean, look, they were the only team to beat Spain in the uh, 2010 World Cup finals, I mm. think. So they're really, a really tough um, competitor. I'm actually so happy to see them in the last four with Holland and Portugal. And what I want to throw in quickly on Portugal, um, because this is important too, I just want to say how I'm so impressed by specific players, key players in that team have evolved this year. So Bernardo Silva has stepped up mm-hmm. into the void as the eight when De Bruyne has been out. William Carvalho made an incredible move from the trash fire that was Sporting Lisbon's dressing room. <laughs> the end of season trouble, God bless Sporting Lisbon, they had a tough season mm-hmm. last year, to Betis, he's been great there. Mm-hmm. And He's Renato brilliant, Sanchez, sorry to... Sorry to, but I just, I love William Carvalho so much. He's wonderful. Yeah. He's so underrated. He's so underrated. And final shout, Renato Sanchez looks happy again. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sanchez is, um, he's going to, he should be quite fortunate over the next couple of months that he's going to get a run in the buy-in team as well. I mean, Kovac seems to like him more than Jupp Heynckes did, but anyway, but with, um, you know, Tolisso, Hamas Rodriguez, Thiago Alcantara, all injured, he should get a run in that buying team. So he's he's kind of player he needs to be loved, you know? And he needs Don't to we f- all, Michael? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I want to say as well at the Nations League, more generally, we keep sort of looping back, um, is that you not only get to see who the form teams are, but you get to see t- players evolving mm. in sort of real time. So it's not like Sanchez. Sanchez has gone straight from being dominant at Dortmund to the national team and there's such a kind of um there's a real way of career progression now you mm. can actually chart progress so much better not just at a you know the country international but at a player level and that's mm. exciting so for example ross barkley you know uh, as we discussed before like mm. doing really well as a number eight for chelsea into the national side make an impact for croatia mm. and against croatia it's really great to see that yeah i realized for the first time on the weekend how i think i I genuinely care about Jaden Sancho now. There was a point in the second half where I think uh, Lovren pushed him 
And I, and I, I just like, instinctively sh- went, hey, <laughs> leave him alone. Leave the kid alone. And like, and, uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, right. We're there. We're there. Like, and that's, yeah, it's real. Yeah. Wait till Reese Nelson makes his England baby. Oh, don't. <laughs> oh. Emotions. Hold me. Emotions. It's going to happen soon. Can I just say to the England team as well, I want to just say on this <clears> podcast, like, this is really nice. This is a really nice England team. I think Daniel Storey, uh, writing for Football 365, mentioned this a while ago. But, you know, I am somebody who certainly has been concerned about English nationalism. I talked about this before in a different context. Yeah. The fact that I, you know, I love watching England, but I worry about the kind of the England aspect of it. I think we all do. But this, mean, this, yeah, yeah. this team is just, you know what, it's just, it's the best of what England is, mm. I think. Like, they're an absolute credit to their clubs, their credit to the national side, the way that Southgate conduct Gareth Southgate conducts himself. Mm. They're just a great, you know, multicultural, multiracial, but it's not even about that. You watch them and you don't think about that stuff because it's, it's rendered irrelevant. This is just a bunch of, you know, great colleagues working together for a collective goal. And that other stuff doesn't seem to matter. When Gareth Southgate them. sets a great example. Um, you say it renders it irrelevant, but there's still that unfortunate minority of fans that, um, that don't do their bit, you mm. know, uh, on the road especially. And Jack Pitbrook uh, wrote a, a great piece in the in the Independent a few weeks ago when England were in Spain um, about how there's a core of England fans that um, are letting England down, um, and there's still a, a, a unfortunately an element of that, right? Um, but it's better than it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing about this England team is that. It just seems way more relatable than it has been for years. Like, obviously, they're multi-millionaires and they're amazing at football, but they they kind of remind me of, like, some of my friends. That sounds really weird and stupid to say, but, like, in terms of, like, that kind of dynamic, you know, it's, like, varying ages, especially when you kind of, I mean, you know, I kind of came up through, like, you know, music and stuff. So there's, it's very diverse and it's very you know, people from different backgrounds or people at different ages or stages in their career. And this like fusion of that and that chemistry is something that's really like, it just, yeah, it's just really relatable, you know. Do you know what it reminds me of actually when you talk like this, it reminds me of, let me just say, uh, God rest his soul, the, the late great Mac Miller. Um, when Mac Miller passed away recently, um, obviously the great musician, a lot of his fans were heartbroken on a personal level because they kind of seen his growing pains. And I think a lot of us have kind of seen <laughs> the growing pains of this England team and it's relatable the whole way. There's not a kind of aloofness to it. There's not an arrogance. And there's a great thing that Wayne Rooney said. He said, um, you know, he was speaking to some ex England players who were a bit jealous of yeah. England's success. And he was like, mm. like I've had my time. Like it's, we've mm. had our time yeah. and they're doing that. And what I love about Rooney is you can tell that players in the dressing room on the train are happy for him mm-hmm. because look, here was Rooney was a player who did push himself and went on longer. Maybe he should have gone, but that was never out of selfishness. That was out of competitive desire. And Rooney was someone who is so graceful in terms of stepping away and allowing this team to flourish. And I think mm. we're on the verge of something quite exciting now with England. And yeah. I don't, I don't mean winning. I don't even mean winning tournaments. What I mean is, I, I can see England being regular quarterfinalists in major tournaments if they play to their best for the next, you know, ten years. Yeah, I mean, if, if they play to their best, I can see that, and that's exciting. Just the, the knowledge that we have a team that's good enough to be in contention again. Yeah, I mean, it's not even really that that kind of is a priority for me. It's just actually, um, I I kind of quite in look. I quite look forward to England games now, and that's um, 
a little bit strange for me. I mean, I don't want to be one of these people who's like, oh, I don't care about England, but it was just, I just didn't really enjoy them that much. You know, um, I kind of, I just wasn't a lot about it that I enjoyed a huge amount. And, and now I kind of just find this team a lot more enjoyable to watch. And yeah, so I mean, you know, I was watching the, the Barcelona documentary last night that take the ball past the ball. And there's a bit in there that Pep says, it's not a spoiler, but he says, you know, people won't remember the titles we won. They'll remember how we played. Right. And I think that's something that you're starting to see a little bit more with England. It's like, that was the thing about the World Cup for me. It wasn't, I was never really expecting us to go that far or to win the thing or that it was going to hashtag come home. But just the way that we were playing through the tournament was like, oh, this is great. This is, right. we're, we're, this looks fluid and new and exciting. And that for me was the biggest takeaway from, from stuff, not necessarily winning things Sterling's as much as we'd love to. Sterling's goal against Spain, actually, on that note, Sterling's goal against Spain was absolutely beautiful. Mm. Like, you know, the way it was played up from the back, I think one of the Croatia players said that Pickford is the best at playing the ball out from the back in the world, pretty much. Like one of the Croatia players or members of the coaches, which is a big, you know, I mean, it's I definitely think Tesh, the most hype. Tesh Dagen's, it's the most hype, hype about playing out from Tesh the back. Tesh Dagen's probably, you know, an Alisson, whatever, but it was generous praise. Yeah. But it's so, you know, you're right. Like watching Fabian Delph beating men in midfield. How, when's the last time we saw this, him play with such much, so much freedom? Yeah. When's the last time we saw these players just play with absolute abandon, like in collective yeah. sense? I think just, Pep Guardiola deserves quite a lot of credit for the reinvention of Fabian Delph. We spoke about this before, that you're seeing now with this England side the benefit of having genuinely like the world, some of the world's best coaches right. in the Premier League right. over a sustained period of time. Yeah, true. And a lot of these players have come from clubs who have got either, you know, Klopp, Pochettino, Guardiola, mm. now Sari, you know, and... And you're seeing that, um, you know, I'd even put Eddie Howe in there because I think that his philosophy is very similar to some of those top coaches and his approach. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just exciting. It's nice. But you know what? It's, um, it's still a relatively recent um, change. I mean, if you, I remember going to Wembley a, a year ago, just over a year, a year ago, maybe England played Germany. It was, um, and this was before Germany's like real decline, um, nil, nil. Um, and from about the 70th minute, there were paper aeroplanes being thrown onto the pitch because the fans were bored. But, you know, I look back on that now and I think that that was almost like the start of this. Mm. It was like, this is, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think was man of the match in that game. It was really impressive. And we started to see that England are competitive against teams like Germany now. And then there was another game that it was a nil-nil against another big team that same week, I think. That was when it started to change. The one thing I really hope um, is that people don't now expect stuff from this England side. That's the one thing that really concerns me. And where the, I don't the, think so. I hope, I hope they don't, because if people start expecting England to uh, maintain a certain level, I think that um, you might see this, this kind of... Um, feeling towards them kind of dialogue. England fans don't expect anything. There's been too many years of hurt, Ryan. Oh, <laughs> I, think, I think in a funny way, I think the country, this, to get briefly political, I think the country has been humbled in lots of ways in recent years. And mm. I think that actually has informed maybe the way that we relate to the national team to an extent. Because, you know, we got, we got humbled in the World Cup 2010. I think losing 4-1 to Germany, I, in my opinion, completely destroyed the England-Germany rivalry. As a historical factor, I think now when playing when we play Germany, it's kind of 
oh, it's Germany, haha, two World Wars, one World Cup. But that's not really a thing anymore. Like it's not, we're not neck and neck like we felt were before. And I think that the England football team now has been such a lovely way to kind of come together, unify whatever word. It's just such a bit, it's such a nice way to sort of reinvent mm. some sense of national identity yeah. in such a positive way. And it's just been really nice to root for this team without any other... Does that make sense? Yeah, been, it makes complete sense. I mean, it's just been really nice just to root for them because yeah, they yeah, just... Yeah. You haven't mentioned the B word of Brexit, but during that whole saga, which is still rumbling on, the World Cup felt like such an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and long may it continue. What the, was really positive about stuff The escapism, like that? not Brexit. <laughs> yeah, what was really positive was seeing people who were very kind of on the, you know, a certain side of the political spectrum try and claim ownership of the England side when they were doing well in the World Cup. And just everyone's shutting them down, right? Which I thought was really good, yeah. As well, um, yeah. But yeah, true. England, yay! Yeah, thanks, England, for restoring our emotional compass. Much Through to the playoffs, there's playoffs, right? So exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. It's all on, new and fun. On that exciting emotional cliffhanger, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll discuss the fate of Germany. And we're back. So let's talk Germany. Michael. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> says it all. Says it all. Oh, Germany. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with them. They're, you know, 2 0 up with five minutes to go against the Netherlands. Good team, Netherlands, as we discussed earlier. But that is a game they have to close out. You know, Kroos came back. Hummels was back. Muller came off the bench. I don't think there's any coincidence that um, Muller came off the bench and then they conceded two goals. Is that harsh? I don't know. I think that, you know, from what we saw against Russia last week when Germany won 3-0, Serge Gnabry, superb. And he um, he should be a, a permanent fixture in the Germany team. Kai Havertz, really, really impressive. And I don't know why he didn't start. Leroy Sané did keep his place. But those three, Gnabry, Havertz, Sané, they should be the three that Germany are building their, their, their team around. Um, maybe with Marco Royce up top, he was injured, unfortunately, so he wasn't able to play part uh, only towards the tail end of the, the Netherlands game. But the, this transition towards youth is not happening. It's not happening quick enough. Um, and, you know, Serge Gnabry should have stayed on that pitch for 90 minutes. He was absolutely superb. And he was against Russia, as I said. Um I think there's still many, many questions. I mean, I think Tony Kroos proved himself after a few, um, a few unconvincing performances for Germany. Um, but yeah, there's something psychologically wrong with them. Kroos has been more confident in front of a microphone than on the pitch in some recent <laughs> games. I'm sorry, but it has to be said. Kroos always seems to have words for um, words for fellow underperforming players Sané let's be let's just be honest let's be honest let's be honest you know you know Cruz called out Sané but Sané scored and I I hope that I hope that Sané's body language is appropriate when he was celebrating this time around <laughs> well Sané is an interesting topic he's back now after well obviously he was left out of the World Cup squad 16 games it took him to uh, to score he broke his duck against Russia and then scored a, again a really good goal against the Netherlands I think he's proven that he um, he should be there I mean I think I think Joachim Löw, the, the the jury is still out. Most definitely, the jury's still out on him. But I think I've made my 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 views clear on him. I think he, it's time for him to go. I think there there needs to be something fresh, some change. Um, 
even if that's in the shape of the 110-year-old Jupp Heynckes. But I think he could step in. I mean, I think he's he's a professional firefighter. That's Can I just bit, say... That's a bit I harsh. Would, he's a lot I more would, than that. I would... What? Age-wise, he's a lot more than 100. <laughs> no, the firefighter bit. I want nothing <clears throat> more... Well, that's a lie. In terms of German football-related stuff, yeah. Jupp Heynckes is Germany manager. I am... Take all my money. You're on board with yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, me too. He's just that guy. He's yeah. just like, and he's, he's and he, it's almost like, uh, you know, like Wenger managing France at some point or something yeah, like that. Like, sure. you know, a, a, a job that you would want to see a guy like that have, you know. And, it's perfect for the for the role. Um, and he knows a lot of the, the players already. Um, and Germany have got this, a bit like England in some ways, that they've got this great generation coming through. The difference is that Southgate knows how to get the best out of them and when to play them. Um, and Lerf just seems um, just just hamstrung by by indecision. He doesn't know which young players to play at what point, whether it's time to say goodbye to some older player. I mean, he's finally dropped Jerome Boateng, but that should have happened long ago. Mats Hummels is another guy that hasn't convinced. Tony Kroos has picked it up. Thomas Muller, I think, is lucky to be, to still be involved at the moment, the way he's playing. Um, but he doesn't seem, Lerf just doesn't seem brave enough to make these decisions. Can I just um, fire a few shots at the DFB? Because I think that they are, they should take a lot of the blame here. Because giving Love an extension to his contract before the World Cup started was so stupid. Mm. And I think it bred that um, arrogance that you saw in various stages through the World Cup, like from before the tournament, the language they were using, the yeah. selection, the way that they were going to play. Yeah. There didn't seem to be any consequences for players who didn't perform like Hummels, uh, Muller, Boateng, Kroos, for example, that kind of core. They've made it really difficult to move on from Love because... I mean, it, I, there's a lot of parallels with um, Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, for example. For years and years and years, people were saying he's got to go. But when when does a manager feel that they can't do a better job or turn things around? It's very rare. You know, managers are wide wide different to, to to normal people. And like Germany against Sweden in the World Cup is the only competitive fixture that they've won since October last year, which was against Azerbaijan. Now, when 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 would an organisation like the DFB let that stand. And it, do you know what? The warning signs for Germany were there like before the World Cup. They played Saudi Arabia in a in a warm-up game. Mm -hmm. They were abysmal in that game. They won 2-1, yeah. but it was like they, they I think the winning goal turned out to be an own goal and then they conceded towards the end and it was like a nervy they just about got over the finish line. I remember watching that game thinking Germany don't look in great shape. I didn't think that the World Cup would be as catastrophic as it was, but to think that this has just suddenly happened that the World Cup is wrong. Mm. And you're right to raise the DFB's failings because this stretches back. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I'm also personally of the belief that if you win the World Cup as a manager, just walk because yep. it's not going to get any better. For it, but, but, and I think there are examples where it's different and I'll mention them. I think Deschamps at France is different because I honestly think France won that ahead of schedule. Yeah, they're still on the rise. They're, they're, they're not developed. Yeah. Spain were different because there was such um, there was such a depth of talent across multiple age mm. ages at mm. people in various stages of the, their career and the, the core of that squad were either at Real Madrid or Barcelona mm. and I just think Del Bosque, it was, a, it was a bit of an anomaly. It was like one of the perfect situations where you could see this dynastic squad mm. that would be able to win. 
I think it's in Germany's case, you either win the World Cup and then go, right, you kind of reboot and you then start planning for the next one, mm. you know, get people um, kind of blooded in or whatever. Or you just be like, this is someone else's job, like freshen it up. It's that kind of, it just seemed really stale, the whole thing. This is stuff we've covered, so I won't go over it too much. No, but but I can just, see you know, why Love, and this is in defense of, duh, 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 in defense of the DFB, it's so interesting. If you look at how the national team has evolved under Love, you know, this guy basically resurrected it. 06, I think he took, was it 06, 08? I think it was. Yeah, 06. Yeah. 06. And, you know, how long is that now? 12 years. Yeah. That is like a sort of Angela Merkel length tenure. <laughs> Under whom, you know, under, he basically is responsible for so much of the... He, he's gone the same way as Merkel as well. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that's often forgotten as well is that Germany were the best, te- arguably, okay, it's arguable, but they were the best team going to Euro 2012 as well. And they should have won that tournament and they actually underachieved by not winning. That's, that's fu- I mean, it's a fair criticism. You can't win every tournament, but they peaked in 2014. And as you say... It was the, the 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 cycle was complete at that point, um, and the trend for the last the last four years has been a downward mm. one. A slow decline. I mean, the problem is the problem is although they peaked in twenty fourteen, they were still very competitive in twenty sixteen, and they only narrowly got done by France. Basically, Pogba just went to town on Kimmich, and that was that. That's um, true. That's true. So it was, and the thing with the DFB as well, and this is maybe why Love has been there so long. He is so good, you know off the court in quote marks. Mm. He is just a consummate diplomat. He is worldly. He's engaging. He's just an incredible figurehead. You know, when do you ever hear like really bad stuff about love in the public sphere and an international basis? Like he's he's well regarded in, in an international basis. Like I don't mean in Germany. I mean in English speaking media, love comes across really well. And that's he's professional. I yeah, mean yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone's questioning his right. um that that side of him, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that's why he's probably been there for so long. It's not just the results on the pitch. He's a really good company man. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, and yeah. It's I just suppose. all a bit comfortable, and he's such a yeah. safe. He's such a safe pair of hands. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing. Like, I mean, it's gridlock basically. When I kind of say that he should have walked, this isn't like me being like, "Oh, love is like rubbish" or whatever, because you don't win the World Cup by being rubbish. And the thing is, the, something Michael said was that, you know, the jury's still out on love. Mm. And the guy has won a World Cup. That kind of saddens me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's the, like without getting too kind of like. Well, there's an whatever. emotional attachment to Lerf, which is, st- I think, if he hadn't won the World Cup, or say you'd taken them to the final in 2014, we, we he'd be he'd be long gone. There, it's this kind of this thinking. Oh well, maybe he can do it again. Mm. There are so many parallels to Wenger at Arsenal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like, yeah, and yeah. I think that I, I think more for him is like he did such an amazing job. And he yeah. has done such an amazing job for Germany yeah. that the longer that he stays on in terms of, well, providing they don't turn it around in the qualifiers and like have a strong qualifying campaign, it's just going to tarnish that amazing legacy of bringing the World Cup Exactly. And there's no, like, we've not really seen during his tenure, and why would we, any signs of discontent. But we saw against the Netherlands a sign, uh, you know, a banner being held up, um, mm. Lerf Rouse. So, Lerf out. And if you look closely as well, I think you can see Michael Ballack standing behind that. Mr. Ballack, if you listen to this podcast, we'd love to have you on again to discuss that point of It's not going to come on now, is he? Michael threw him under the bus. No, but really, the the I think the handling of the um, the the Erzul Gundogan situation as well wasn't perfect. That wasn't just him it was actually more the dfb mm. but there's this kind of feeling of like 
we need to draw a line under this and we need to start not again because there's so many good young players that have already been brought into the team but that hasn't happened quick enough and I think there needs to be a new a fresh impetus and you've mentioned Arsenal a couple of times in the parallel to Wenger look what it's done for Arsenal yeah and I think that you know someone new in there again it's kind of not saying love is washed or anything I just think it's it instantly just relieves a lot of the pressure that's around Germany at the moment and there is a you know a hell of a lot of pressure. The, the 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 sad thing is that it would be it would be in my opinion great for Germany to to make a change, but it would be kind of the end for Lerf. Like, where does he go from here? I mean, football's a, a kind of a brutal business, but I don't think there's much more he can do really. I think that he could walk into another international job. I think pretty easily. I think, but it wouldn't be at a top top tier. You know, I think it, it would, would always be, a div- be like a kind of div- a, a country that's like you know even I'm. I wouldn't say someone like the US, but some that kind of, yeah. I think he could go somewhere like that, or I'm not sure about his, about a job at club level. And this again, if he'd gone after the World Cup, he would have walked into any job in the world pretty much, I yeah, think, at that point. It's, um, wherever he goes, it's going to be a step down and he's never really proved himself convincingly as a, as a club yeah. uh, coach. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like, he's kind of at a dead end really. Yeah. Um, Poor Yogi. Poor Yogi, indeed. Let's but this, jump by the way, like I don't want anyone to think that I've got a campaign against him. Like I, how are we going to get anywhere? Uh, look, listen, listen. He's a, no, how? he's a, he's a, he's a, yeah. But I've been calling for him to to oh, leave. No, 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 sorry, no. This is a different. This is a different point. Listen, I, I want. It's, it's all a bit cozy in here. I like a bit of controversy. In the podcast. <laughs> you know, listen. Put your ch- say it with your chest. You know, if you want, if you're holding a banner right now, saying Love Rouse, <laughs> you know, then no, no. That was right. Michael who let was me, holding that. Up. Let, me, let me just get my. Banner out my yeah. He just Michael's holding up one saying Musa Rouse. Yeah. Musa Rouse. <laughs> <What> the <hell? laughs> hey, there's no there's no harm in some nuance, Musa. You know that. Well, that would be yeah. scorching hot take. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of let, let, let's, 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 speaking of hot takes, let's jump across the ocean and go to um uh, go to a country which is making headlines uh politically and in football terms at the moment, Brazil. Um, mm. Neymar is a man who is uh, as controversial as as they come on the football field. Sorry to butt in, but is Milton Keynes across an ocean? Well, Brazil, <laughs> Brazil. Well, Brazil. Last time I checked, was across an ocean. I mean, we can always. All oh, right, I just thought because they played in Milton Keynes. Let me, just, let me just consult consult Google Maps. <laughs> consult Google Maps. Um, I can confirm it's across an ocean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> <Thanks>. Brazil, <laughs> Brazil um, beating Cameroon one nil. Clarence Seedorf's Cameroon one nil. Goal from Richarlison. Uh, slight injury to Neymar. How are we assessing Brazil at the moment? Firstly, I think Neymar's injury could possibly, it looks serious enough that he could stay out of the Liverpool game. I think he's definitely going to miss the Liverpool game. That's um, next week, right? It's, yeah. It's yeah, it? I think he did his hamstring. Yeah. So that, and Mbappe got injured as well, but um, I think that looks less serious. I think Brazil, um, well, the, I watched that game and Willian just, he doesn't, he's such a class player and he still, I feel, doesn't get the, the recognition he deserves. He absolutely run that game. He got a bit too much time and space than he should be given, I guess. And Sadoff will be working on that. But uh, yeah, he was really good and Richarlison really impressed me as well. Great header um, to win that game. He's ace. He's, a, he's so good. What did you say about him earlier? I said he, looks, I said he, he looks like you've created him in FIFA like his features <laughs> no, yeah. do you know what I mean like he's like, he he kind of like he's like wow he's like quite a striking guy 
And he's a really good footballer. <laughs> no, How old is he? 19? 22? 21? Oh, okay. Maybe he just appeared from the ether, like, you know, the FIFA algorithm just yeah. manifested in the dressing room. He's, uh, he's class. He's, yeah, he's great. He's a star in the making. And he is a very well-scouted player because he's somebody yeah. who, frankly, was not on the international radar three years ago and now is a fixture. Like, mm-hmm. he belongs in... Who would have thought it of a fifty million pound football player? <laughs> listen, listen. I'm just giving a shout out to the fantastic scouting at Watford because mm. those people were obviously smoking the good stuff. Like whatever, like they knew they knew what they were doing when they got when they got him on board. Um, well, where was he signed from? I'm not sure where he came Ooh, from. What's knowledge? From? Google it. Hang yeah. on. Google it. Oh, Fluminense. Fluminense. After a brief stint at Monero. Well, I mean, the reason I say good scouting is you know Fluminense not exactly a small team, but it's understanding they'll be a good cultural fit between his style and the Premier League because mm. that transition is not easy to make. Yeah. I think Watford did the same again with Pereira, didn't they? Um, he spent some time at River Plate and they yeah. brought him to Watford and he's been great. And it's just knowing or having a sense or a good amount of confidence that a player can shift like that. Yeah. I think South America is going to be the new kind of like league de for uh, Premier League scouting. It seems to be a little bit neglected maybe in the Premier League specifically over the last few years. It goes in cycles, doesn't it, yeah. South America, doesn't it? Because I remember um, River Plate uh, a few years ago, actually, when they had all the games on Channel 5, I used to watch them quite a lot. They had a guy, uh, was it Fernando Cavanaghi, who was a kind of like young, finish like sort of Saviola slash Crespo type finisher. And they had all these brilliant players and they got their moves to Europe. And then it went quiet a bit. Yeah, well, there was the, there's the kind wave, of heating up again, isn't Yeah, there's it, been now? the wave of the strikers right. for, for a long time, which I remember, sorry not to mention his name again, but I remember Arsene Wenger saying that the, commenting on the trend of South American strikers was because they were, you know, to touch on a, a brilliant piece that you recently wrote, Musa, more <laughs> me blush. like unstable elements. They were kind of street footballers who hadn't been through the very homogenized uh, academy structure right. in Europe and bringing that level of a little bit of instability on the pitch and like um, unpredictability. Hard to play against, right? Yeah, now. definitely. Um, yeah, I'm wondering whether you'll see that kind of outside of the, the, the out-and-out striker role. This circles back to the point about German and why they're actually easy to play against now. You know, the Thomas Müller thing about finding space. Now that you know how Müller finds space, it's easy to plan against him. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why the problems, these tactical cycles in football, they come to an end. You know, well, tiki-taka, not quite. It's not tiki-taka. Guardiola style of football, you could argue... Well, it's because Chavi got knackered. But these cycles come to a natural end. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. I'm being reductive, but you could argue that you need to freshen up and actually bringing in, as you say, players from these countries, unpredictable mm. players, it gives us new challenges, new problems. Mm. I mean, I was watching Juventus against United in the Champions League and they put Pjanic at the back of the midfield. Yeah. And I, Which so I, thought, was... I was like, what are you doing there? But then they destroyed us. So clever. They destroyed us. I mean, he, he, dictates, more long, yeah. he yeah. dictates the game from such a deep position. Reminds me a lot of um, Jorginho, actually, yeah. in the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've completely forgotten what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> honest admissions, honest content on the podcast there. We got it all for you today. I know we've gone, I know we've talked about South America briefly, and we could talk about Uruguay and the friendly against France, but I want to talk about France specifically. Because to me, their recent games have shown a lack of strength and depth in creative midfield, maybe. Maybe I'm leaping ahead a bit, but you look at the, the, the midfield they played. They played Nzonzi, Kante and Matuidi, right? Pogba was out with an injury. And they looked like, against, against uh, Netherlands, they looked lifeless. And I just wonder, 
I just wonder if they're going to have a challenge getting the ball into the feet of their brilliant strikers. It's not really a hub of creativity, those three, is Well, it? exactly, exactly. This is what I'm saying. You know the threat's going to come through certain creative players. Mm. So I just think that France, for the next tournament, have to freshen up. And I think this Nations League has been a bit of a warning sign for them. Mm-hmm. It has, and they've got away with it by finishing second and there being no like damage. They've kept their pot one status. Of course, they would as world champions. But yeah, they seem a bit hungover. A little bit rigid, I think, for um, in terms of system. I would have liked personally to have seen Deschamps experiment a little bit more. Mm. Um, and he's got so many players at his disposal to do that. I mean, Fakir and Dembele, who was also on the bench, these are guys that in these kind of games start them. Um, dramatic prediction. Deschamps conservative and cost France in Euro 2016. And I think it will cost them in 2020. Ooh. I'm just, that's just, just if, if things continue as they are, like you just can't, What's that saying, that uh, that political theorist, like reform that you may preserve? And I'm not sure whether he will reform. I think he has to take the Euros, the, the UEFA Nations League, as a bit of a shock, and then come back and be like, okay. Are you saying we... he possibly should have left after winning the World Cup? <laughs> no, I'm just saying I'm just saying more risks. I'm yeah. just saying take more risks. He He's Didier Deschamps. It's not in his DNA to take risks. Yeah, I mean that was a, that would have, that was a constant criticism of people before the World Cup, though. And actually, in the early stages of the World Cup, they were saying that they were a little bit too dull or defensive and not um, lively enough going forward. And I thought this would have been a great time, actually. With the it's a bit of a free hit for France, like you said, they're not going to really be out of the pot one thing because of the winning the World Cup. You've got you're riding on that wave of kind of um, good feeling post World mm. Cup. Mm. Go wild a little bit, and then and actually, if it doesn't work. Yeah. At least you've shown that you've tried to do yeah, it. Yeah. Check it's, us out telling international, you know, World Cup winning managers how they should pick their sides. It's all you, Ryan. I know. <laughs> Can you manage? No, I can't. But yeah, I mean, it's nothing too serious for France. I think it's no. just tweaking and they, they, a lot but, of injuries as well, right? But the, but let's not expect France to. I mean, they've got some flair players, but don't expect them to be a flair team. No, no, that's. Um, and isn't Port- it sad how we've just accepted that? Isn't it sad how we've just accepted? Oh yeah, France are always just going to counterpunch. Yeah, but then I saw a very interesting um, comment from Paul Pogba. And I, you know, Pogba is obviously one of my favourite players, but in a very unguarded moment, Pogba said, "To be honest, we thought we'd won the Euros in 2016 after beating Germany. We thought it was a final." And I thought to myself, "That is an absolutely astonishing admission." Like yeah. every now and again, like I love the French team, but every now and again, their players come out with stuff that makes me think you people on a different planet. Mm. Like the Griezmann video, like I'm staying at Atletico, that whole like mm. documentary does to say he's staying. I'm like, completely to Drake. Drake in the background as well. Ugh. And then, and then, you know, and Pogba saying like, we thought, <laughs> what, I mean, can you imagine, Roy Keane would have had kittens if Roy Keane heard a player saying, we thought Segway. Funny you mentioned Roy Keane. Oh, Roy Keane, what's, what's he done now? Roy Sound Keane, the alarm. Yeah, Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill both no longer in charge of Ireland. Wow, uh, wow, they've wow. left. They've left by mutual consent after. Um, well, O'Neill had been in the job since November 2013, which is when the first issue of Robona came out. Incidentally, so it's your fault. <laughs> so you've outlived. <laughs> and yeah, Mike, but, Mike, Martin O'Neill got sick of waiting for another issue and just quit. <laughs> Couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> Don't blame him. But yeah, the, 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 he'd only won one of uh, nine games this year, and not not a great record. But I, you know, Martin O'Neill, he knows what he's doing. Um, and Ireland are, Ireland are not, well, let's just say you look back at the golden generation of 
you know, 15 years ago, Damien Duff, Roy Keane, Robbie Keane, this, these kind of players, Shea Given, they're miles away from, from that now. And I think there's some deeper problems in the infrastructure of Irish football than just firing a coach. I, I, he allegedly fight. He hasn't actually. But maybe it's just the end of a cycle. I mean, five years is a long time. It's a long time in any job, international, otherwise. Tell Joachim Lerf that. Oh, oh leave it alone. Wow. Oh. <laughs> it does sound like an agenda. I'm not being funny, but like the rule for an agenda. I'm just establishing some podcast. Michael's we a paid actor. We're, we're trying to, the, the, sheriff, the sheriff is in town. We don't have enough rules in this podcast. I think, I think that three hits... I think three strikes at one individual is an agenda. Yeah. Constitutes an agenda. I think for Michael, I think Michael, that's think, we've had at least two on this podcast. I think he needs a, a, a one pod ban. <laughs> I think, yeah, exactly. I think one more. That's a yellow card, Michael. One more, one, yeah, one exactly. more and it's a campaign. Yeah, one more and it's a campaign. This is feeling like, I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but yeah. this is feeling like a violent, <laughs> violent conduct. It's three matches. Yeah, yeah. It's shocking. Yep, Hank has said he'd pay me every time I, <laughs> I called for Lowe's <laughs> head. But you mean Uncle Yup? Yeah. <laughs> my goodness it's, it's getting it's heating up in here Who would can have we go it? yeah we can go i'll tell you what, I, what i will say is it, it's one degree in berlin but that's as hot a podcast <laughs> as you're gonna hear see, see what i did there minus three oh, with yeah. the uh, minus three refill uh, refill real real Re- fill real fill <laughs> <laughs> sorry someone's got to put ryan's new batteries in yeah. Dear listeners, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Um, thank you for joining us on a journey through the, the UEFA Nations League, and we hope you've enjoyed as much as we have. Please find us on all social media platforms, at Mag is the handle. You'll also check our website, if you don't mind, uh, at RobonaMag.com, where there is Just lots Rabona of Mag. content. Yeah, Robonamag, is it? Just Robonamag.com. yeah. Um, where you'll find lots of new articles about the game and where things are at the moment. And we'll see you all next week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.